0: Thank you, ladies for singing, and thank you for a great day here. We do have before we get started, we gave these out this morning to uh, the mothers. We have some extra ones, and they will be at the back um, the back uh, information desk. So if you were here and you didn't get one this morning, you're more than welcome to go by there and get them as, as, as long as they last. And then Brother Adrian, uh, Mrs. Adrian and the children, this is your last service, right? What are you glad he's leaving? I am. Uh, We're going to miss you. Now, good thing is we're not going to miss Emily. She's moving in with us, okay? So uh, that's because every time she's in the service, I give her money. So she likes me. But uh, we're going to miss them. Why don't we give them a hand? Thankful for what they're doing in Cambodia. And just, just a blessing. And then thank you so much. The testimonies have been a blessing with the building, and I'm looking forward to what God would do. We talk a lot about the next generation, and that's what we had singing this morning, the, the little kids. Caden, you did a great job, buddy. Are you going to sing a solo one day? Maybe. He said next week. He's in. Okay. Um, all the girls here that sang, I believe all of them were born why they were in this church. I don't know about you, Patricia. Were you born in the church? You should have been born in a hospital, to be real honest with you. Well, did you already have her when you guys came, Patricia? You already had her? You don't count them, Patricia. Sorry about that. She actually, my wife and I were talking. You were in our our daycare for a little while, huh? You were one of the few we kicked out. So she was a troublemaker, Not kidding. So that's what we're looking for. We have a lot of great young people and a lot of great singles. And uh, that's the next generation. It's because we have a lot of good families. And so thank you for that. And thank you for being here tonight. It's a little later than we normally get started. I'll go fast. I will not keep you here. I know we were a little bit later this morning because we had a lot of peripheral things we were doing and I got up very late. But I will not go long tonight. But I do want to share a very important thought to you this uh, this evening, you know f- we know this if you 've lived any amount of time, following the crowd is not always the right thing to do, right? Uh, just look at our politicians that we have, all right they were voted in by the crowd. the crowd's not always right in fact, the crowd is usually Usually wrong, but we struggle with that in our lives because we are so peer pressure dominated. We are, we, we, it's very easy for us to be influenced uh, by others and to make decisions and go the wrong way. The fact of the matter is um, we just don't want to be different at all. I heard a story, a pastor said they had this lady's Bible study in his church, and, and they headed a house, and one day they had the pastor come speak, and he goes there, and the ladies were all sitting around quiet, no one was moving, and they asked him first, like, hey, we have some refreshments, you want to get some? He goes, nope, none for me, I, I, don't, I don't want any, no thanks. And he said, he noticed none of the other ladies got up to get refreshments. So after a few minutes sitting there, he goes, I want to try something. He says, you know what, I think I will get up and get some refreshments, those look good. And he said, as soon as he got up to, to get some refreshments, all the others said, you know what? It does look good. And they all got up and they all went and ate the food. No one wanted to be the first one to make a move, okay? We're just so, we, we don't want to be different. We don't want to stand out from the crowd. And so that's a problem. The problem with that is because we can be influenced to make bad decisions. And bad decisions come with negative consequences. And I want us to see that today. This chapter is about the reign of King Ahaz. Uh, The king of Judah, the the, the northern kingdom. He came, his father was Jotham. Jotham was a very good king. He was followed after he died by Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a great king. And yet despite that, in the middle of these two kings you have this Ahaz. He is not very good. The first four verses, which we did not read, tell us about uh, an overview of who he is as a king. He didn't do that which was right in God's eyes. Fact of the matter is, he lived and worshiped and did some horrible things in the, in the name of worship, um, just like the heathen kings of the land. He was not an, a, a good guy. Um, and so we come to a specific, sor- specific story that proves this point, and then we're going to go somewhere with that. And of course, again, it's proving how bad he is because of his wrong worship. Uh, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of Israel, they join forces to come up and fight against him. And so they have all, they've went through parts of the, of the, the nation already, and they decimated it, and now they come to Jerusalem where the king is, King Ahaz. But they're not able to overcome that city, they're not able to get in, so they move on and continue their destruction of uh, the land of Judah. After they move on, Ahaz, uh, Ahaz he, 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 he sends to the king of Assyria and says, hey, why don't you come help me? Come, these two kings are after me. And he sends them uh, a gift of precious metal, and he pledges to serve him. And the king of Assyria, he, he, he's into kind of gaining more land anyhow, and he sees an opportunity to do that. And so he takes the gift, and he goes after them, and, uh, and he, uh, he defeats them. If you, look, if you looked at Isaiah chapter 7, you would see the stories there too. Isaiah actually went and spoke to Ahaz, but uh, it, did not, it did not go well. He didn't listen. That's not the part of the story I want us to see. After the war and all that is done, uh, King Ahaz goes to, to see the king of Assyria. I'm not going to go through his name. It take half an hour every time I mention his king, name. Uh, but he goes to, to meet him in Damascus. And as he's there, he looks and he sees this altar, a pagan altar. And he sees that altar and he's like, wow, that looks neat. And so he sends word back, he gets a description of the altar and he sends it back to Uriah the priest and he says, hey, I I want this. And by the time he gets back from meeting at Damascus, that new altar is ready. Now they take that altar and they place it in a prominent place there in the temple and then he goes there and he starts offering sacrifices upon that altar. That sounds nice except for one thing. That was not God's plan. God had very specific rules about where and how they were to do the offerings. And they were not to do it upon some pagan altar. God already had an altar for that. And so he's doing this in straight disobedient in disobedience to God. Ahaz had a lot of problems in his life. All of his problems were related to one thing, his wrong worship and his wrong relationship with God. The Bible tells us that very, very clearly. And then to make things worse, the nation's in a, in a, it's a train wreck because of his wrong worship, and to make it worse, he's gonna bring this false altar in and start doing what is supposed to be God's sacrifices on this altar? It doesn't work that way. No matter how good it looked, Or who was using it, it was just straight wrong. That's how we are. We are never content just to follow God's word and God's way in our life and in our churches. We are no different than Ahaz in the sense that we are always looking to improve upon or correct what God is doing or what God wants done. That is just human nature. And they bring this altar in. Why do we do that? I notice that in our churches, in our day, and in our worship, we do the same thing. We try to add to what God wants us to do. Some churches are nothing more than drama shows. I follow this thing, and I probably shouldn't because it irritates me, but they show some of these churches. Most churches on Easter Sunday have these off-the-wall, goofy drama shows that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ, have nothing to do with the resurrection. It's just nothing more than entertainment we try to take away from what it's doing. We, we take away our services. We take away what we're doing for God. We're trying to, to moder- modernize the church. And by the way, I'm all for mo- some modern things. I'm not for modernizing the way we worship God, though. Okay, I'm not like, you know, we're going to go back to the dark ages. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not like that. I love technology. Technology makes life better. But we think we have to make The church, when I say modernize it, we need to make it more like the world. God is completely against that. There ought to be something different when we come to church. This morning I talked about when I first started going to church and how I fell in love with church. But you know what? When I went into church, I knew it was going to be different than my life. I knew it was going to be different than the way I lived. And that's what I expected from church. And I got it. And I'm very, very thankful for that. We try to soften up what we, are, what we are doing in church. You know, we, we, we well, you know, I'm just going to focus on love. And I, I think love's a wonderful thing, and we do focus on love, but not to the exclusion of truth. In fact, the matter is, let me say this. It is very unloving to give somebody something that's not true or to, or to deviate away from some truths. And that's why the church is a total mess today. But I want you to understand this, when you change something in a way that it should not be changed, you are perverting it. That's what the word means. The word pervert means to alter something from its original state or meaning to the point of distorting it, corrupting it from what it was first intended to be, right? You change it. And now it's no longer like it should be so that it cannot accomplish what it is is supposed to do. Understand that God has given us parameters and principles that are to guide how a church worships him, witnesses for him, and how we are to live for him. We can't change that. We can't, in essence, pervert it. We must be careful that we don't change worshiping. You know, we come in here, we don't want to say anything that somebody may not may take offense to. And by the way, let me just say this, and we're not trying to offend people, don't get me wrong, but we live in a day and time when, when the truth, sometimes people just don't want to hear the truth. You go talk to somebody uh, that, that's trying to bring some of this wicked stuff into the political realm, and I'm talking about moral things, and they'll sit there and argue with you, and you ask them to defend their position, they can't. They get mad, call you names, and walk away. Why? Because they can't stand up to the truth. By the way, isn't the church supposed to be the place where the truth is preached? Could it be that our country is going down a, a very deviant road because the church has stopped being the church? There's enough people in this country who claim to be Christians that if they actually live like Christians and they actually believe like Christians, this country could be changed in a matter of days. But we don't we want a new altar we bring in music that's more in line with today's pop culture we're not going to do that here you already know that we're not going to have frontline singers we're not it's not entertainment it's it's to be blessed it's to hear something that's of god and ministers to your spirit we're not going to we the, you know we're not going to uh, the pastors want to dress and act in a way to be cool Okay, I'm not 20 years old. I'm gonna shock you with that. I'm not 20 anymore. I'm well into my 30s. (laughs) Say how well into your 30s? I drove past it a long time ago. Look, if I ever come in here and I'm wearing a toupee, pants so tight that I have to walk like this, and start using cool words, look, there's something wrong with that. Okay, we don't have to change ourselves to reach people. We we're not gonna make this. Entertainment-driven. Charles Spurgeon said this, what, 150 years ago. He said, we're in, in the church, he said, we're entertaining the goats and not feeding the sheep. We're not going to do that. We pervert witnessing. We despise personal soul winning and call it confrontational soul winning. It makes it sound like we're hiding behind a corner and when someone walks, we tackle them and we throw them on the ground and we hold them down with our fists and say, listen to me. Now, in a sense, don't get me wrong, in a sense, it's, it is confrontational. We're kindly sharing the truth of the gospel. And by the way, when you share the truth of the gospel, it confronts us with the truth of our sin and the truth of what are we trusting for salvation. And by the way, we need that. And, it's not, and that's not mean-spirited in any way. We only invite people to church. We never share the gospel. We don't mention the gospel or give an invitation at church. We're against door-knocking and taking the gospel out. We're not going to do that here. Here is the point. Ahaz didn't need a new altar to worship the temple. Neither do we. Fact of the matter is, his problem was he didn't worship at the old altar. He should have just did what God said to do. If we're going to fulfill God's will for our church, we need to understand that we don't need the new altars of this world as well. Let me give you a couple of statements and I'll give you a few points and we'll be done. We notice something in the world and we try to fit it into the church thinking that we'll reach the world, right? I've given you this story before how Pastor Esposito, he was new at this thing. When he wasn't Pastor Esposito, then he was Joe. And he got saved before me and, and uh, he was trying to reach me. This is before he got into a good church. And he, he's like, hey, I know you like this music because it was a music him and I listened to. So he took me to our Christian rock concert up here at uh, Gethsemane. Now, it wasn't Gethsemane back then, okay? It was, uh, I think it was uh, uh, Orange Brethren Church or something. And I went to that rock concert, and they, they did rock music, and then at the end, some guy gave this little cool cat thing, like, hey, man, you know, he used all the lingo, and, you know, if you're into Jesus, blah, blah. And it's like, and, and I didn't get anything out. I didn't get the gospel out of it. And afterwards, pastor said, you know, what do you, thought of, what did you think about? I'm like, it's okay. Well, that's not the truth. I'm like, the music they gave, the, the, list, the music I listened to, they did it better than those guys, and the message was so you know, flowery, it had no truth, no conviction to it. We can't do that. We think it'll work if we try to do that. Do you know God's already, already given us what we need to reach the world? The truth of the gospel. Just about tell them about Jesus Christ. Tell them about the fact that we're sinners on our way to hell, and Jesus Christ died for our sins, and if we'll trust in him only, we can be saved. That, that works, by the way. We don't need to add anything to it. We don't need to take anything away from it. The gospel works. I'm thankful. We had a packed, over the last few weeks, really several months, packed house, people upstairs, as Daniel would say, people raising their hands and being dealt with one-on-one and trusting Christ as Savior. That still works. Uh, People coming. We've met someone that's been coming for a few weeks. He brought his mom and his sister and her child here today. I'm like, remind me again, how did you get here? I got an invitation on my door. It works. It works. There's people out there. Remember this, when society is darkest, the light shines the brightest. There's people out there looking for something. They don't know what it is. The gospel works. God has already told us what is needed to disciple those who we reach from the world, the truth of his word. They just need God's word. They don't need us to come in here and give them some, you know, little cute flowery speech and we're afraid to say anything thinking we might offend everyone. Also, when we try to fit the world into the church, it is not long before we start to imitate the world in the church. The music is no different. The atmosphere is no different. By the way, we're, not, we're, not, we're never going to be a nightclub. We're not going to soften the lights and soften the mood. And we all just kind of hang out and sing kumbaya together. We don't need that. I don't, look, it's, it's, it's bad enough, I go out to a restaurant with my wife, and maybe because I'm getting older, it's like I can't read the menu. Is that, is that, is that, was my kids, is that boomer? I mean, I have to take my phone out and turn the light on. Okay, maybe I'm just an old guy, but I'm like, I can't see. Now, it's, it, maybe it's, that's a good thing because I look better to my wife in the dark. I don't know. We start to imitate the world. We're no different in the way that we do things. By the way, methods are important. Ask David about that. He thought, hey, let's get all my buddies together and we'll bring the Ark of the Covenant. We'll have a big party. And he put it on a new cart and the cart started to tip. And Uzzah says, hey, let me help God. And God struck him dead. You know why? God said, that's not how you do it. You're not allowed to do that. But they didn't follow. We're no different in the values that we have. We, we uh, the average Christian, the things that if you ask them what's important in their life, most of them, it's not much different than a person that doesn't know Jesus Christ. And I know we all have the things, we have our jobs, and we have all that we got to take care of. Nothing wrong with that. But we live our life, and our passionate life is everything but God. We just have the same values. There's no difference in the beliefs that we hold. It's nauseating to me, and I could give you illustration after illustration, but that's not the point, that Christians now are trying to take all these ideologies, these immoral things coming to the world, and defend them by the Bible. By the way, you can't. You just can't. There's no difference in the consequences we experience. I think to me, that's the saddest. Because if we don't live like God wants us to live, if we live closer to how we were when we were unsaved, do you know we're going to experience those same consequences? We're not bulletproof just because we're saved. The fact of the matter is we'll probably probably get worse consequences because God's our father, and he's trying to get us back in line. The point is, he brought this new altar. And some of us, were not bringing the new altar into our church. We already understand that. But some of us, will bring those altars into our life. That's good. So, so what did he do? Why did Ahaz buy into this new altar? Or why would a church buy into an altar? Let me give you a few reasons, and they'll be very brief. I'm not going to keep you here long. Mothers, you still have six hours until your day is over you get everything you want. Then at 1201, we get a reset. Number one, I'll tell you why his altar was wrong, because his relationship was wrong. Look at verse three. It says, but he walked, describing the king. He did not that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Look what it says. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. By the way, you know, the listing of the kings they would always say he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord or he did that which was wrong in the sight of the Lord. Do you know in the, the kings on the southern side when the nation split, the southern kings didn't have one good king. They all did bad. And so he's like, when he's saying he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, he was not good. Yet he made his son to pass through the fire. Child sacrifice, to be real honest with you. According to the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before... The children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. That's the place where the false idols and the false worship places were set up. So why did he buy into the new altar? Because he was just a bad king. He just did not have a good relationship with God, whenever we try to buy into, whenever we're trying to modernize Christianity, we're trying to modernize our beliefs, and we're trying to get away from the old truths of the Bible, it's because it's just a sign that we don't have a right relationship with God. Because a right relationship with God leads you away from those things, not closer to them. We don't look at what we're doing from the standpoint of, do I like it? We look at what we're doing from the standpoint of, is this God-honoring? Is this right? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? That's what we need. How's your relationship with God? It just stands to reason, if we're not looking to God in our relationship for Him, why would we look to God in the way that we worship and live for Him? We just won't. The two go hand in hand. If we're going to live right and do right, then we have to have that right relationship with God because that's the guiding light to follow God in the way in which he wants us to. How about your relationship with God? Are you doing what he wants? Are you in your devotions? Are you committed to him? Are you consecrated? Or are you doing what you want? I'm not harping on music tonight, but to be honest with you, I'm kind of tired of these whiny, emotional feel-good songs that we we push off as Christianity. Christianity. It's about my emotions and my feelings. Quit being a snowflake. Let's get over that. And there's songs, by the way, that are encouraging. But, you know, when you, if you're, the only time you think about God is when a cloud flies by. There is something seriously wrong in your relationship. Uh, you, look, all those songs are whiny. It's like, look, I want something that has some truth to it. I want something that, like, encourages me and strengthens me and motivates me to do the right thing. If I could change the word and just throw a girl's name in it and it's the same thing, something's wrong with that. Most of these songs talking about their love for God, you could be talking to your girlfriend. Or if you're a guy, or a guy if you're a girl, but not the other way around. It's just whiny because that's how it makes me feel good. Secondly, the reason he brought the wrong altar is because his attendance was wrong. Look at verse 8. Look what he did. Where did he get the, where did he get the, uh, the precious metals to buy off Tigrath-Pileser, that guy, the king of Assyria? Verse 8. And Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found where? In the house of God. Why was it there? It was, that wasn't a bank. That was, that was part of the makeup of the building. And in the treasures of the king's house, that's good that he gave some of his own, and he sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. He did not care about the temple at all. When he looked at the temple, he said, hey, here's some precious, here's precious materials I can jimmy out of there and use it to rent this guy to help get me out of this present situation. By the way, you say, was he really that bad towards the temple? Read when Hezekiah took over. Hezekiah, on the first uh, first day of his reign, had to go down and unboard the temple and clean it out because it was a mass. No one was using it. He did not care about the temple. By the way, that's true of us. We have to have the right view of, church, of, of God's house, church, not the wrong view. And let me just say this. It's not a place of entertainment. It's a place of encouragement. We don't come here to say, well, what are you going to entertain us with? The average pastor now, this the big thing going on here. They all want to preach from a little television screen. They might as well, because there's about as much truth in what they're saying than in the average television show. I don't know. I just think we should use the Bible. Okay, we don't need to, you know, all this stuff that they do. We want it more to be a place of friendliness than fellowship. Now, don't get me wrong. By friendliness, I mean just a place where our friends are. Do you understand? Fellowship is deeper than friendship. You see, fellowship is a friendship that is cultivated because of shared values and beliefs. So when you have friends in the church, you're fellowshipping with them because you believe the same things, you have the same biblical and scriptural values, and so you can have a relationship that's closer than anything else anybody else can have because you're brought together by your core values and beliefs in the living God. We want church to be a place of receiving and not giving. What do I get out of it as opposed to what can I give towards it? We want to be served. We don't want to to serve. We want it to be a place of comfort and not a place of confronting. And by the way, both are needed. I totally understand that. But some churches are so comforting, the first time they say something that would be a little bit confrontational, people spin off in the wrong direction. By the way, I don't know about you, but I need to be confronted. I need to like, you know what? Stay on the right path. You know what? That's the right thing to do. Uh, stay right. Stay with God. This is what happens. All throughout the Bible, you see that. We want to be a place that's trendy and not timeless. And again, I, 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 like, I, like, the, I like all the, uh, the, 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 the things we use, the technology. Bring it on if it helps us serve the Lord. But we're not going to, we see every, the, everything the, the next church does, we got to do. Right? And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just irritating. They see some, some liberal church somewhere, and everybody's standing outside, free coffee and a donut. So you, got, you, think, you think the world's going to rush to hear the gospel because you're standing outside with a sign that says, free coffee and a donut. Happy Sunday. Let's smile. If you want to stand out there with that, that's great. I'd rather go out into the neighborhoods and invite people to church. And I'm not. You know, we're not going to do that because it just seems a little lame to me. But I'm just saying, where do we get those things from? Who are we following? And and I'm not against that. I want greeters, and I want to be friendly, and I want to be organized, and I want to be all that stuff. Without God, none of it's any good. If it's just a method we got from somewhere, and we think that's going to bring everybody in, it won't. God's got to bring them in. So let's be very careful about that. We start to have trouble with the church because we don't like the truth it teaches. And if that ever happens, we have several options. We try to change the church. You can strike that one off. It's not going to work here. You can criticize the church. That's up to you. I'll never understand that, how people come in and criticize. It's like, hey, look, if it's not for you, go find one that is. Okay? Or you leave the church. By the way, a lot of people say they leave the church because they they don't like things. Very few, some do, but very few go to another church. If someone comes here and says, hey, this place isn't for me, and they go somewhere else, and that works for them, I'm all for it. Go for it. Serve God. Find your place but you, you leave because you don't like it, typically you're not going to find what you want. Thirdly, because his association was wrong. Where, where did he get this? He got it from the wrong spot. He got it from Damascus. That wasn't the place to find the place. That's verse 10. And King Ahaz went to Damascus. There he is in Damascus, the wrong place to find worship, and he's there with the wrong guy, uh, Tigrath-Pileser, king of Assyria. The, king, the fact of the matter is, the kings of Israel and the kings of Assyria were godless, wicked, rotten kings. And they treated their people like dirt, and they worshipped a false god, and they brought in the elements of being mean to people into their worship. And that's where he was going to get it. And the Bible had made it very clear that no godly king would ever, should ever follow that group. God said, the fact of the matter is, if you follow him, you're going to be cursed. The fact of the matter is, the reason the king was in a bad position in the first place is because he was following these people, and he wasn't doing what God told him to do. If he would have just done the right thing, he would have won some amazing victories. Think of King Hezekiah. Remember what happened when the king of Assyria came against him? God took him out. God killed a whole host. And their country was not very strong at that time, militarily, but God took care of it. You know why? Hezekiah was a good king. This is what happened to the Galatian church. We're, we're, if we have problems with the people that we allow to influence us, we are going to have problems in our life. I'll give you a couple thoughts from uh, from Galatians before we move on. Galatians chapter one verse six and seven. The Galatian church was a good church, and it took a wrong turn. And in chapter one verse six and seven, Paul said, "I marvel." He goes, "I'm shocked that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel." They had major problems which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Did you notice that? We talked about perverting the truth. How did it happen there? People got into the church. They started, hey, well, is that the right thing? Is this all that? So they changed their belief. Typically, if someone changes their belief, it's because they're influenced by the wrong individual. Be very careful about that. If you're going to change your belief, you ought to make sure it's because you saw it in this book. When I got saved and I got right with God, everything in my life that changed was because I saw it in this book. And I'm like, well, that's got to change. I've got to follow that because God says it very, very clearly. First chapter three, verse one, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who, not what, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? It changes their behavior. You know, a phrase that makes me Nauseous is when someone will do something, it's like, totally gets a Bible and say, well, this person over here, they're a Christian and they do that. I don't know about you, but we're not supposed to judge what we do by other Christians. Well, you know, my buddy at work, they go to this church, you know, the, the, the spirit garage or the journey or the branch or the leaf or the, the flower, whatever they want to call it. And they, they're just like everybody else and they're a Christian. I'm not going to base it on what they do. I'm gonna base it off what the Bible says. Okay? Now, if someone's motivating me to go in the right direction, bring it on. I'm all in on that. Push me in a good way. Okay? But behavior changes. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Listen to what Paul says. He goes, Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth, verse 17, they zealously affect you, but not well. Paul said, I used to be able to tell the truth when I was there, and you listened to me, and you, you got it. Now I've left, and these people are telling you something different. Now I'm your enemy all of a sudden. It changes our brotherhood. The people that used to, we used to like, now we no longer like them. Why? Someone influenced us the wrong direction. Next, because his motive was wrong. Look at verse 10. And I saw... He said, and it saw there that was at Dema- an altar that was at Damascus, and King Ahaz <coughs> sent to Uriah the priest the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it according to the workmanship. Uh, basically, he saw. He said, "You know what? That I'm, 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 I'm just." He saw it and said, "I like it. So let's do it." That's that's not the right thing. Uh, it's, it's it's new. Okay, I, I, this I think would look really good in the temple there where we worship. Um, God already told him what to put there. It didn't matter what he thought. Just because something looks good doesn't always mean it is good. We might want to get God's thought on that. Remember we preached on David. David sat around the, he was sitting around with Nathan, the prophet, and he's like, you know what? I have a really beautiful place. God doesn't have a place where we can worship him. He doesn't have a house and I do. And Nathan said, hey man, do what all is in your heart. And as soon as Nathan left, God's like, hey, no. <laughs> it sounded like a good idea, but no, he's not the one. Solomon's the one. Go back and tell him. Sometimes things that sound or look good aren't necessarily the right thing to do. And he just saw it and said, boy, it looks good. Other people are doing this. Be very careful. The problem we buy into some things, we don't see where they came from. We're not going to bring in something that's pagan in nature. We're going to bring in something we think is cool if it's going to take us down a wrong path. Desire, we, look, we desire to be in tune with the culture. You know, and, and let's just be real honest between you and me. A lot, of the re, a lot of the times we want to be in tune with culture is because we like the culture. Yep. Right. Well, can we just be honest here? We, we prefer a church that's more like the world because in some instances, to be honest with you, we want to be more like the world. And we want to have some, look, uh, Ahaz was a complete tire fire, but he's like, I, I got to do some form of worship to get my, you know, so let's just do this. That's wrong? So we're like that. Like, well, we have to have some form of worship, but let's just bring it down to my level. You, you, know, you, you could walk into, you see the average person that says they're a Christian, and there's zero evidence. And you know it as well as I, if you work in the world, if you tell them you're a Christian, they're going to come tell you, well, that guy over there, he's a Christian, he acts like Let's be very, very careful. And I'm not saying we should be weird. Don't get me wrong. Um, we, 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 but if the world doesn't like what we're doing, that's one thing. But let's just, let's, let, let's just do what God says. Wrong motives always lean to wrong methods. Well, we'll reach more people. We can do a lot of things to get people here. But if they're not right, we're not going to do it. Because his obedience was wrong fact of the matter is, you look at verse 10 and verse 11, he's not doing this so he can get closer to God because he had no desire to get close to God. He he had, there was nothing, look, if anything was gonna turn him to God, it was gonna be the fact that this war was breathing down his neck. One of the worst kings of Israel was King Ahab. And there was a time that Ahab was under attack And in that instance, he humbled himself. And God said, you know what? Look at this guy. He humbled himself. I'm going to take care of this one for him. This guy had, that was not even in his, if anything was going to turn him to God, it would have been this, and he wasn't turning anywhere near God, but he'll change the temple. He'll change the altar. He'll bring in something new. That's not going to change it. His desire for his altar was rooted in his disobedience and not a desire for obedience. No one ever changes their altar because they're motivated by obedience. We don't change what we're doing to something to that which is not of God because we want to be closer to God. And then lastly, because his shepherd was wrong. Now, 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 now hang with me for a second. Look at verse 19. We've read this guy's name a few times. Uriah. He was the priest. He was the religious leader. He was number one. He is the one who is to lead the worship of God. Verse 16, thus did Eurijah the priest according to all the king that commanded. You know what he should have said as the priest when the king said we're getting a new altar? He should have said, no way, Jose. We're not doing it. Other priests stood up. He wasn't, look at the priest was answerable to God, not the king. The reason this guy was doing it is because he had his spiritual leader who was lockstep on with what he was doing. He should have stood up and confronted him. Well, that could have been bad for him. So be it. He didn't answer to the king. He answered to God. He should have done the right thing. He should have been the one challenging the king all along. King, this isn't right. He should have been the one confronting him. How dare you bring this altar into the house of God? That's why Hezekiah had to clean out the, 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 the temple when he took over because it was it a was junk. Where's Uriah standing up? He shouldn't have been conforming to the king. Let me just say this. When you want a new altar, you're going to look for a new priest. Okay, you're going to go find some, some leader and it's not going to be me here. That'll, that'll, that'll change it to make you feel good. We're not doing that. We're not. I have a responsibility to do the best of my ability to stay close to the word of God. Not going to come in here, look, I, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm, I don't want to be mean here, but, but I'm annoyed. I'm tired of pastors standing up and giving spiritual TED Talks. They're, they're stepping into their feminine voice. Hey, man, thanks for being here today. Just, it's really cool that you're here. Everything's wonderful. Why, why are you going to talk? You don't talk like that in real life. Just be who you are. You, we're so feminine. You know what I liked when I went to church? Chris, Brother Black, Pastor Black. I thought, you know, you go to church... Guy comes in, he's kind of, you know, he's kind of quiet. He has the backwards thing, you know. Brother Black just got up there, and he was a man. He wasn't just a man, he was a man's man. Former boxer. And I'm like, I don't know what pastors are supposed to be like, but if that's what a pastor is, I'm in. He was a man. He told the truth. He acted like a man. He didn't dress like a girl. By the way, guys don't dress like girls and girls don't dress like guys. You know, we just, everything's wonderful. By the way, I don't like these flowers. (laughs) My daughter's like, I decorated the church last night for Mother's Day, there's flowers in the pulpit. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's good. (laughs) Ladies, enjoy, because at 1201, they're gone. I'm kidding. (laughs) But look, you, can I just tell you something? You say, Pastor, you just sometimes, you say some things, and I just, I just want something softer. <laughs> Find another church. Amen. They're, out, they're everywhere. Right. He won't say a thing. But let me just tell you something right now. You're not going to have girls like we had up here singing like this. You're not. I'll tell you about the church by our house, and I don't know them very well, but, I, they, you know, they used to have the trunk or treat, and so, you know, take the kids out five minutes, they get a lot of candy, and you go have dinner. And we're there, we got there early, and we're taking the last time we went, we got the grandkids a bunch of candy, they're very nice people. The background music that they were playing was very, very nice. And right before we left, they cranked, they changed the music. And I recognized the song. It was a song by the Rolling Stones. Now, if that's not bad enough, I knew the song. The name of the song was Sympathy for the Devil. Then they had their little youth group band come out. And I'm not criticizing the kid because I wish I had hair. But he had hair that was spiky and it was 17 feet tall and he had a dog chain on. That was their youth group. I'm like, I don't want that. First of all, I'm jealous. If I could go up to the kid and say, can I get 10% of that, I'd be happy. Okay. So we're not going to do, I'm not going to sacrifice the next generation to be cool. Okay? And by the way, I think real God boys, they want real stuff. But there's plenty of truth. They'll, they'll never tell you a confronting word. Never say anything from the scripture that's convicting. And I'm, and I'm all for being kind. I'm all for being sweet. So what happens in, in, in Christianity is if we don't like the message, we change the messenger. By the way, and I'll read a couple verses and we'll be done. 2 Timothy tells us that's a sign of the end times. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at the appearing of his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Now, here's what he says we're supposed to do: reprove. Hmm. Rebuke. Hmm. Exhort for all long suffering. Good. Uh, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, teaching. Two are what people would say are positive, and two are negative. That's a balance, right? Don't we need a balance? Okay, you don't just feed your kid, you know, um, cake for dinner. You feed them vegetables, okay? I sure hope mashed potatoes and gravy is a vegetable. But look at verse 3. I'll read it too. For the time shall come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Can I just tell you something? We're here. And what does it mean by that? He says, but after their own lust, that means desires, what they want to do, shall they heap to themselves teachers? having itching ears, and they shall turn their ears away from the truth and be turned into fables. Do you understand what he said? When we get to the point where we don't want to hear the truth, we don't want to hear anything that's semi-confrontational, we change and we go find somebody who's willing to itch our ears, who's willing to give us what we want to hear based on our own lust, what we desire to do. Uriah was that. Hey, that's what you want to do, king? Cool, let's do that. We're not going to do that. We have to, make, look, the church is to make a difference in this world, right? By the way, thank you for what you're doing. This is, we're not going into any of this, and it's more for, we have to watch it in our own lives. But, but you have to understand something. We cannot make a difference in this world if we are no different than the world, we want to buy into the fact that if we're just like the world, we can reach the world. Well, if we're just like the world, what are we reaching them with? We're reaching them with the world. So who are we reaching them for? We're reaching them for the world. We're supposed to reach for the Lord. Amen. This morning I talked about change. One of the things I was excited about when I, when I started living for God is like, man, God was do, doing this stuff. I'm like, I'm making changes in my life for the better. And I was excited about that. I'm glad I went to a church where they encouraged me to do that. They didn't say, hey, keep what you got, just throw Jesus, Jesus in the truck. Take him along for the ride. It's not how it works. Changing the altar will change the results in our life. Let me just read this paragraph by A.W. Tozer from many, many years ago, and then we'll be done. He said, aside from a few of the grosser sins, the sins of the unregenerated world are now approved by a shocking number of professedly born-again Christians and copied eagerly chew on that for a while young Christians take as their models the rankest kind of worldlings and try to be as much like them as possible they look for the lowest form of Christianity and that's what they follow religious leaders have adopted the techniques of the advertisers boasting baiting shameless exaggeration are now carried on as a normal procedure in church work the moral climate is not that of a New Testament, but that of Hollywood and Broadway. Can I, that's like 70 or 80 years ago. What would he say today? Right? So what's the point? Why don't we just stick with what God said? If, if our worship doesn't match up with what God wants, God's not going to change. So we have to change. And that change is always for the better, and it's always for the best. When people come to our church, you know what I want? I want them to hear the word of God. I want them to hear something that will help them in their life, not something that will make them feel good because I came to church today, I put in my time, and I can go home and be no different than I am now. I think we want to be different. Let's all bow our head and close our eyes just for a minute. I know we want a few minutes. We got really late today, but... Let's stand together if we may. As I mentioned before, I am not against new technology, new things like that. Don't get me wrong, but when it comes to things that are uh, that that challenge the truth of the word of God, we're not going to do it. We're not. We're going to just stick with what the Bible says. You say, "But pastor, what if the world changes so much that they don't want that?" Uh, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is trying to stay true to God and let the rest of it just work out. I'm responsible for what I do for God. You're responsible for what you do for God. I'm responsible for trying to follow and promote the truth as well as you. Quit looking for something new and cool. Quit letting people influence you to go down a different road. Just stay on down the right path. Let God do something. And parents, let's look to our children. They're looking to us. Let's give them the same thing we have. If God spoke to you at all, why don't you come? The piano's going to play. The altar is open.